Welcome to the Science of Fishing, where we deliver the latest reports and most up-to-date tactics to help you catch more fish. Each episode, we'll get into what's been biting and break down exactly what you need to do to get out there and catch them up. Special thanks to Gulfstream Lures, Tackle Crafters, and Black Reef Spearfishing for sponsoring this podcast. Now, here's your host, Mark Farag. What's going on, everybody? I'm here with Captain John McMurray from One More Cash Charters out of Oceanside, New York. Cap, thanks for taking the time today. Um, you know, it's a pleasure to have you here. You're a legend up there in New York. You're killing it always. You're the jigging and popping expert, and uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks, man. It's good to be here. I appreciate the good words. Absolutely, absolutely. I, uh, I'm always seeing you all around there over at the AP and just doing your thing. You guys, I know you guys got a good fleet and uh, you guys are always out doing everybody. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Kat, how has it been this off season? How you, how you doing lately? Um, you know, we're getting through it. I, I keep pretty busy during the off season. Um, you know, having all those boats, there's always at least one big project to take care of over the winter and they all need, regular maintenance and they all need fixing. Um, I also have, uh, you know, other work that I do over the winter. I have some writing contracts here and there, but I stay pretty busy, but it, it ain't fishing, man. And I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out again. I start to go a little cabin uh, crazy at this point of the year, you know? I bet. I bet. Yeah. Everybody's always got the itch. I'm down in Florida right now. So trying to get oh, out man. there, but when I'm up, when I'm up by you, I, I get the tuna fever every time. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a terrible addiction, you know? I know. I Actually, know. it's like, on, honestly, it's like, you know, when you do it every day or every day that you got the weather to do it, you know, it's, it, you have those adrenaline, those adrenaline spikes every day, or at least, you know, you have the anticipation that something cool can happen. And then you know, in the winter, that's abruptly taken away. Um, usually around December, you do your last trip and you kind of think you're going to get one or two more in and, and then you don't. And then it's a long winter, man. It's like you get addicted to those to those moments. And when you don't have them, it's like it's almost like PTSD. You know, <laughs> you come back yeah. and you're like, holy crap, what do I do with myself now? And you got all this downtime. Winter's tough, man. But we all right. get through it, right? Absolutely. You guys are getting hit with some snow up there right now, right? No, no. It's been pretty mild oh, no? winter, actually. Has no, it been bad? We got a, little bit of, got a little bit of snow yesterday, but it melted off real quick. Oh, that's good. Good, good, good. Well, well, for those that don't know, what's your season run like? What what months are you going from to from? Uh, well, it depends on if you're just talking about tuna. Well, I, I guess let's talk about the whole season. Um, I, I generally – start dropping the boats back in the water that second week of March. Uh, and, soon. you know, if we get it, yeah, if we get a mild winter, which we had this winter, you'll start seeing hypers over in Raritan Bay um, towards that that later part of, of March, and then, then it really starts to go good in April. And then Jamaica Bay over on the other side starts to light up mid to late April. And it's, you know, then it's 24-7 from there, man. The tuna thing yeah. – uh, is interesting because 
you know, it's a little bit different every year. It seems to be happening a little earlier. And our, our bluefin fishery, it starts, it, it really starts to go off earlier than it has been, you know, mid to late May now. Whereas, you know, there's a few years ago, I would have told you mid June. Um, yeah. But it's it's a little different every year. You don't really know when they're going to be there. I start poking around and looking uh, late May, mid-May. And some years we're the first ones to get on them. Some years we're not. Uh, but we definitely start looking around. It's always good to be the guy that gets the first one, you know. Of course, of course. You think the conservation effort that's been happening has been allowing them to come up earlier and earlier? Um, or do you think yeah, it's just well, migration? I, I, no, I, I think when you look at, at bluefin in particular, I, I mean, yellowfin is, is a wild card. They're very short-lived, fast-growing species. And some years they come, some years they don't. Some years there's a shit ton around. Some years there's only a few around. And there's no real – it's hard to overfish. I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's hard to overfish something like yellowfin because they're such a fast-growing, short-lived species. Uh, bluefin, on the other hand, as you likely know, was the poster child for overfishing. Um, you know, you had that big sushi boom. All of a sudden, guys were getting $20, $30, $40 a pound for bluefin. That was a yeah. long time ago. They're not getting near that now. Uh, but it really did tank the stock. It was a big Japanese market. Um, a lot of money was being made on those fish, and we really knocked the crap out of them. Uh, but, you know, I think, you know, not only uh, nationally, but internationally, they kind of figured out that they had to really start managing these things right. And, you know, if you look at the uh, the stock size chart, you'll see a definitive upturn since I think I think around 2008, 2009, that, that chart starts going up and up and up. And, uh, you, you know, without a doubt, uh, both the Eastern and Western Atlantic stocks of bluefin have been on the increase for about a decade now. Um, and, and not only are we seeing more fish, but we're seeing more of a age and size distribution. Like we're seeing a lot of small ones during certain times of the year and during certain times of the year, we're starting to see big ones. So it's not one or two year classes like some other fisheries. It's, it's pretty well uh, distributed. Now um, I will say this, while we have, we, it hasn't been terrible on the bluefin front. It hasn't been as good as it was the last two years. We've kind of had a very short abbreviated run in the spring, you know, from late May to mid June. And yeah. then they shoot up North. Um, and they had real good fishing in the, in the Cape this year on those uh, recreational size fish, those fish that were just a bit under 70 inches. Um, that, those were, were our fish. I mean, we'd had those fish for, for over a decade here. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't think that's an indication of stock size. I think they just kind of shoot up there, shot, shot up there for one reason or another. Yeah. Um, I also think it's related to the yellowfin fishery and and i'll give you my reasons why and i before i do i should say this is all anecdotal you know this is there's no real science i'm just making yeah. uh, on water assumptions here but um i used to think because a traditional season we'd have bluefin all the way through you know mid to late july you know good bluefin fishing and then you'd get one or two yellowfin while you were fishing for bluefin and then you wouldn't see any more bluefin at all after that like they would just go they would just disappear and see them again in, in December or, or November. Um, what I think is happening I, is I used to think that was water temperature related, like most reasonable people will. And it usually seemed to happen around 
75, 76 degrees that we wouldn't see any bluefin anymore. Um, but then one year we didn't have any yellowfin at all. I think that was 2016, 2017. And I'm sorry, we didn't have any yellowfin at all. And then we had bluefin consistently from late May all the way through uh, September. So I think what happens is the yellowfin show up and kind of push the bluefin out. There's too much competition for the bluefin. So they're like, all right, we're out of here. We're going to go up north where the water's cooler and we don't deal with these yellowfin. Um, you know, is that really what happens? I don't know. But uh, it does seem to be that once the yellowfin move in, the bluefin are gone. And we had uh, the yellowfin move in in early July last year, and that may well have just pushed the bluefin out. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember I was up there fishing the AP and the yellowfin were everywhere, and then there wasn't really a bluefin bite anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. There has been a lot of word or in the past couple of years about the bluefin showing up right out of the Raritan Bay over there. People like to say they're in front of the Statue of Liberty, but um, <laughs> have, have you went over and, and fished right there off of Brooklyn and, and off of yeah, Long Island yeah, no, I, for them? Yeah, so the spring and the fall, I fished there a lot. Um, yeah. I I've heard from reliable people who've seen bluefin air out over in Raritan Bay. Yeah. Um, so I do kind of believe it. I, I think the Statue of Liberty thing is funny because that showed up. What was that? The New York Post or Daily News? That, yeah, something you know, like the that. Guy holding, <laughs> yeah, the guy holding the tuna in front of the Statue of Liberty. Uh, when that piece came out, I got yeah. a ton of calls like, oh, we want to catch tuna in New York Harbor. I'm like, nah, dude, <laughs> doesn't work that way. <laughs> but there is yeah. there's absolutely uh, a bluefin bite you know, kind of within that 10 mile range of lower New York Harbor. Um, right. You know, it's mostly you know, people call it Rockaway Reef or Ambrose Reef or I'm sorry, Rockaway uh, Canyon or Ambrose Canyon. Yep. Um, but it's um, it's not really it's almost 100 percent a bait fishery. Um, and and the, the question remains in my mind, you know, have those fish always been there or is this a recent occurrence? Um, I tend to think that. They have always been here because there's so many reports and I've seen them too. You see them rip through the bunker schools, yeah. um, you know, from June on and, you know, maybe one or two guys will hook one throwing topwater plugs, but very rarely does someone actually land one. Um, it was only two years ago that people really started, you know, going out with 80 wides and and one thirties and fishing bait, you know, fishing yeah. live bluefish, live bunker. And that's when people started to really, put some numbers in the boats you know uh i should be clear that you know you're not supposed to be usually the the recreational trophy category is closed by the time those fish show up um yeah. so people aren't technically supposed to be fishing for them unless they have an hms charter party permit with the commercial endorsement and a landings permit um and then there are certain days that you can keep them and certain days you can't keep them so it's a pretty highly regulated fishery i know some guys got in real trouble last year for uh for prosecuting it without the the right permits and all, on the wrong days uh, but it's it's a pretty cool thing to do it's not really my niche i'm i'm a jig and yeah. pop guy and i don't really have the attention span to sit there and you know put a bait out and just wait and pretty much that's how it is is a there's a fleet of 100 boats out there and you go out and you drop a bait in on some balloons and you just kind of wait for a bite some days you're out there 10 12 hours you don't get a bite um, you know, some days as soon as the first time I did it, I couldn't get offshore because we had bad weather. And as I was putting the bait out, I was maybe 25 feet away from the boat and it got smashed. 
And I'm like, man, why the hell am I not doing this more? <laughs> and the <laughs> next two days I went out and, and, you know, sat there all day and didn't get a bite. So yeah. it's kind of like playing the lottery, but they're, they're all big fish, you know, they're all, you know, mostly in that 80 inch range. There's some unders, but they're, they're definitely the exception, not the rule. Um, you know, plenty of, of fish in that hundred inch category. Um, so it's, it's pretty neat that they're right here. Yeah. That, it's kind of nuts. They're in that shallow water and that close. You think they're, yeah. they're chasing the the bunker and the bluefish, right? More so than anything. Uh, I, I think a hundred percent they're chasing those bunker and everyone that we killed, we didn't get any last year doing that. I think I only went two or three times, but um, the year before we went several times, everyone we killed was absolutely packed with bunker. I mean, one of them had 28 bunker in it because we counted them. 28. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, the nuts. whole, the whole, the bunker, like there's a whole ecosystem around those bunker. I, I think, you know, the fact that the bunker have been so prolific has really added a lot to my business, but to lower New York Harbor in general, like, the, the whales that are around right now, and you got the bluefin yeah. in close. There's sharks everywhere, dude. I mean, the shark thing is kind of kind of really prohibited doing that live line. And for for bluefin last year, you couldn't get a bait in the water without it getting sharked almost right away. Uh, but the yeah. bunker added so much life here. So David, the sharks have become a problem up there, huh? The sharks are, yeah, big time. Yeah. I mean, it's hard there, for me to believe that sandbars and, and duskies are, are in real trouble. And, te- you know, technically they are. But they're just, to me, I mean, it seems like there's so many around. Yeah. They're more so of a nuisance to you, especially. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Well, like you were you, saying, you're more. Even offshore, you know, offshore, they're yeah. there too. They're everywhere. No, absolutely. Yeah. I We've ran into them out there and they become annoying sometimes. Especially when you got 100%. a nice yellowfin on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, like you were saying, you're more of a jig and pop guy. Can you tell us a little bit more about why? You know, why not trolling? Why not? You know, the using butterfish and dropping down some butterfish. What, what's up with the jig yeah. and pop for you? Well, I mean, I guess to put it very simply, I have very short attention span. I <laughs> just, I can't bear to troll. I, I just don't. Um, First of all, I suck at it. I've I've done it a few times and I'm just, I'm absolutely terrible at it. And I want to move every five minutes and everything gets tangled. Um, so that's, that's the first reason. The second reason I kind of, I, I started this business as a light tackle business. It was, uh, you know, based around throwing plugs for stripers, yeah. um, you know, all light spin gear. And I got an offshore boat because we had a, uh, I would say kind of an inshore run of small bluefin back in 2005 where we were, you know, we were throwing flies to them. We were throwing plugs at them. They're all 20, 30, 40 pound fish. Um, and I kind of got addicted to that sort of thing. Cause seeing, you know, a bluefin smash a plug is like epic. You know, it's like somebody oh, yeah. drops a piano in the water, or even, even a small one and, and the line that comes off the reel, um, so I bought a, a bunch of offshore gear after those fish left. And, you know, I tried trolling a couple of times and I absolutely hated it. And I remember once when I was trying to get weeds off a line or undo a tangle, I was marking fish and, and we dropped a jig down and bang, we hooked up right away and just, you know, got ent- entirely dumped. And it was to me the coolest thing in the world. 
And that was really like, I may have tried trolling once again after that, just because, you know, all the cool kids were doing it. But I, uh, <laughs> I, that, that was kind of the turning point for me. I'm like, you know, I had all this trolling gear. I'm like, I didn't even bring it along anymore. And I started just, you know, running uh, jig and pop trips. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess people think I'm a snob or, or I look down on trolling. I, I certainly don't. I just, uh, mm-hmm. It's not my thing. I, I can't, I physically can't do it. Like my brain doesn't work that way. And, you know, if I'm not finding life or I'm not getting a bite in 30 minutes, I, I got to go, man. I got to go look somewhere else. I got to go find really? some more life. I can't, I can't just sit there and pull stuff behind the boat. You know, that's yeah. why I have no hair. I pull all my hair out, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're always looking for birds, whales, right? All over the place. Yeah, man. Birds, whales, dolphin. Uh, you know, just shearwaters, tuna chicks, uh, rays are another big one. I'm looking for rays uh, and, and marks and slicks. Slicks are another one. A lot of people don't bother with slicks, but you always want to stop on a slick because, you know, a lot of times they've, they've been day savers. Right, right. Well, most of your boats now, they all jig and pop, right? You have what, three boats in your fleet? Uh, I have three offshore boats and, and two, yeah. two inshore boats. Um but yeah, we're we're all jigging pop. I know I know Darren trolled a couple of times last year, and everybody gave him a real hard time for it. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't I don't prevent those those guys to do whatever they want. But the truth is, people book us to do jig and pop stuff. They don't book us yeah. to troll. If they want to troll, they they go with somebody else. So we we really don't do much if any of it. Right, right. What's what'd you say is the most exciting fish you got on the jig and pop? Um, well, I, I mean, gosh, last year we had a lot of, uh, you know, fish in the mid 70 inch range on, on poppers, right. Uh, uh, you know, kind of in that, that 30 fathom area between Bacardi and, uh, and, uh, Coimbra. And, uh, you know, those were all like really good fish on poppers. Um, yeah, I kind of feel like anything over that size is prohibitive. Uh, yeah, yes, you can land them, but it's, it's really, uh, it's not fun. I mean, it's, they say you're the, for, for the first 30 minutes, you're scared you're going to lose it. And then the next 30 minutes you're scared. You're not going to lose it because, because it really does suck. I mean, every fish does pretty much the same thing. They go for two, three, four run, runs, uh, horizontally. And then you're, you're vertical for the next hour, two hours, whatever it takes to bring them up. And it's, it's no fun. It's like your body's in kind of a weird, bad position. And, you know, it's, it's great when you land that fish because the whole boat uh, takes part in bringing it in, you know, unless you're a, a crazy nutcase, you're passing that rod off to your buddy after 20 minutes or so. And, you know, I always break people's balls when they do that. I'm like, ah, oh, you pussy. But then, you know, when I get on the rod, I'm like, oh man, this sucks. Somebody take it. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, those, those are, those were real good fish last year. I think every year we're kind of getting cracks at, at bigger fish like that on, on jig and pop stuff. Right. Uh, we, anybody- we had a, a few, like we had a couple big eye last year too. That was pretty awesome. That's pretty that was, cool. that was farther out than usually. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Do any of those fish stand out to you though? Any of them? I remember hearing something about your son getting on a nice fish or something like that last season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, seeing these kids get on fish and how stoked they get, uh, you know, that, that definitely 
burns a memory in my mind. I know it burns one in theirs too. Um, yeah, my, my kid had one of those giants off of Rockaway two years ago and him and his buddies were with me and like, I don't know, they thought I was like cool for a few minutes again, you know, now they think <laughs> I'm a jerk off, but, uh, that was pretty damn fun. Uh, we, we sailed last year. So we do, uh, we do bro trips, uh, every other Sunday. Um, and I just, I take my kid and whoever he wants to bring and, you know, maybe some of my friends, um, last year we went out and it was really crappy weather. Um, it rained like you wouldn't believe. And we got a, on a pot of dolphin and first cast, my, my kid hooks up, sets the hook perfectly. And it ended up being the only fish of the day. Uh, and he rubbed it in for a long time, but that was, that was pretty awesome. I was pretty stoked on that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's caught a lot of bluefin, a lot of yellowfin, real good striper fisherman, really good wrestler. There you go. He wrestles. Yeah. Yeah. He's That's uh, sweet. He yeah, man, he's, this is his second year and he's really good and he's getting better. I really enjoy watching him. Pretty That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I wrestled yeah. in high school. I remember it's a good time. It's fun. Yeah, man. Best sport <laughs> in the world, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> Rolling around with other dudes. I mean, if nothing thing else, <laughs> 100%. If nothing else, it teaches you how not to be a pussy, right? <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. You got to you gotta bare yeah. knuckle it. But um, Yeah, man. So, Hardest sport in the world, but also the most rewarding. Anyway, go ahead. Absolutely. No, no, yeah. So that's awesome, though. That he, I bet he rubbed it in for a little while. Uh, he thought he was cooler than you for a bit. <laughs> You there, Cap? Definitely going to be a better wrestler than I was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, question for you. What drew you to tuna? Like, how did you start fishing and what got you into, like, going out there to, to yeah, chase so, tuna? Yeah, so I, I mentioned briefly, there was a really good year class that came out of the Gulf. The Western Atlantic stock spawns in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, so, you know, because of, of uh, recruitment overfishing, we – I mentioned that before, blue, the bluefin, you know, kind of tanked for a while because we were, you know, harvesting them before they could reproduce. But once we stopped doing that, all of a sudden, boom, boom, we had two really good year classes in 2003 and 2004. And, and as those fish move up the coast, uh, you know, they were juvies, our 20, 30 pound fish. We had access to them like seven, six, seven miles off the beach. And, uh, you know, we we're catching them on light spin gear. I'm like, man, this is freaking awesome. Like, <laughs> it's going to be hard to go back to stripers and bluefish after this. Um, and so, you know, I kind of got the bug then and I became a junkie. I bought a 25-foot contender that I really couldn't afford. Um, and we started making those those 20 and 30-mile runs, kind of chasing that that same size class as it moved on year after year. I think 2009 is when we really started to get, like, fish in the 80-pound range. Um, and they were mostly on jigs too. We, what we do is we go out and look for that life and look for, for marks and bait. Um, I didn't really start doing the topwater stuff until I had the guys from Centaur out. Um, you know, these guys, uh, I guess they're, uh, I guess they're Chinese. Uh, I don't know. Um, anyway, sure. we, yeah, or Taiwanese, I think maybe. Anyway, we, they didn't speak much English, but they were very, very good fisherman and we kind of stopped on some life and uh you know i wasn't marking anything it was just some whales dolphins birds and uh 
you know, we fished it for a little while and I'm like, all right, you know, me, me with my ADHD, I was like, come on, man, let's move. Let's go find something else. And they're like, no, 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 stay. And they were throwing stick baits. And, you know, you look at us, that was my first real exposure to stick baits. And you look at them and it's like a cigar shaped thing. The ones they were using were sinking. And I'm like, man, these things are, there's no action to them at all. But the way these guys were working them is they were throwing them out and taking in the slack and just pulling very slow, almost counterintuitively slow. And I kind of came from that false albacore school tuna background where you rip it as fast as you can through the school to get a bite. So I'm looking at what they're doing. I'm like, these guys don't know what the hell they're doing. They're not going to get bit. And 20 minutes into it, I got no marks at all. No signs of tuna, just like bang, bang. We double up on these stick baits. It's like somebody drops a piano over here. Somebody drops a piano over there and, and these things are just, you know, pulling out line. So, you know, what I learned from that is, A, you know, there's a proper way to use stick baits and they do work. And by the way, you know, you you do that sweep. And then as you're taking the slack, it kind of floats up. The floating ones float up and they kind of bobble on the surface. Almost every single strike we get on a stick bait is when it's just bobbing on the surface. So they're really? very visual, very, very violent strikes. But, you know, now what I do is when I find that kind of life, even if I'm not marking I'm like, we're stopping here. We're going to work this area for an hour at least. And we're just going to blind cast. And we get a lot of fish doing that, man. And anyway, that's so that's how I kind of morphed into doing the topwater thing. Now, uh, later on, you know, that was that was my introduction to stick baits. But later on in that same season, once we got into the afternoons, the way the weather pattern was that year is it would slick off in the afternoons. It would totally glass off. And you would start to see these schools of pushing fish. And you would get up on them and get in front of them and, and throw everything at them, stick baits included, and they wouldn't touch anything. You'd see them, they'd swim under the boat and they'd part and there'd be a couple dozen of them. And they're all in the 100-pound class. So, you know, in an act of desperation, we started throwing poppers at them, big poppers. And we ended up you know, we didn't catch a lot of them doing that, but we did start catching fish doing that. It was interesting. It, it would turn around around two or three o'clock. All of a sudden, these fish, for some inexplicable reason, would start crushing these poppers. Um, you know, I don't even think they're trying to eat them. I think, you know, you just find that aggressive fish in the school and it's going to hit it out of here like a reaction strike. So we start fishing poppers. Uh, pretty hard now the, the problem with using both stick baits and poppers for a lot of the season is you get so many shear waters that it becomes impossible and that's when you're you're sinking stick baits and your ronzies start to work better um, just because they're the only things you can throw right shear waters ever, are brutal uh, man really you still shear waters you throw a ronzie into them they'll dive 30 feet down and grab it wow yeah. yeah. You ever, uh, when you guys are jigging and popping, you ever like dead stick a Z or anything and get a bite on that? A hundred percent. So when we're jigging, I always have at least one Z dead stick. Yeah. Now, if usually, you know, I get a crew on the boat, there's usually one or two guys maybe that aren't great fishermen and that can't jig all day or throw a popper all day. They're the guys that get the Z. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, those things were developed to be dead stick. That's what they were made for commercial striped bass fishermen to just put in their rod holders and, and catch fish that way. They have enough action just with the way the boat moves. I yeah, mean, they're an extraordinary bait. 
Yeah, you could work them. I mean, you almost, again, you have to work them super slow for them to work, work right. Yeah, they mimic an eel, right? Pretty much. They do. They, they look like a sand eel. If you ever see a sand eel swim, they kind of do mm-hmm. the same thing. That's crazy because there's there's probably a dozen different knockoffs, but none of them work like, like the Ronzi. None of them have that same action. What do you think is the biggest development over your years of fishing for these tuna? Is it the Ron Z? Is it the poppers? Is it the jigs? What do you think has been the biggest uh, step forward in being efficient? I I think the biggest step step forward has been the rods. Um, Honestly, you know, you you need to have a a, a rod that's around eight foot that could throw a three or four ounce plug super far, super fast. So it's got to have a soft tip. You know, you can't do that with an 80 wide with, you know, roller guides. You just... Or, or even a stiff rod, you just can't do it. Um, so, I mean, there's plenty of rods, like all the surf rods that can do that, but there's not many rods that have the backbone to beat a 200-pound fish. And that yeah. technology has come so far. And the reels, too, like, you know, I remember we used to use the, the Van Stalls, you know, they were the only real durable reel. Um, but now you could get, like, like these Daiwa Saltigas that have over 60 pounds of drag. I mean, why you don't want to put 60 pounds of drag on a fish it'll you know pull your arm sockets out and it'll break the rod um but you know the the amount of drag on these spinning reels is is insane and they're smooth too you know at at 40 pounds of drag they're super smooth van stalls are are great reels but when you got 40 pounds of drag they're not smooth um so so that's been the biggest development i also think uh you know that mad manis uh white um frostbite popper I don't know what it is about that thing, man. Everybody but, has you know, one. That has been, it's, yeah. I, and I can't tell if it works so well because we all just have so much faith in it. Uh, but I, I do think like, you know, when you got three guys throwing poppers and it, it always seems to be the one that gets hit before any other, other one. It's nuts. And I also, uh, you know, when we're talking about jigs, I think those nomad streaker jigs really kind of added to the the, the jigging thing. I mean, those things, for some reason or another, I mean, like you try everything you got in the box and there's a handful of things that you just have confidence in and that work and that, you know, the streakers, especially that pink glow one, they're, they're like a game changer. They're just like, they outfish everything else. Yeah. No, hundred percent. You're giving everybody your secrets right now, Cap. <laughs> no, I don't, I, I don't care, man. It's all good. I want other people to catch fish. No, I love that. I love that. You, you're always been a, a giving person, you know, from what I've heard from around the community and everything. And you're a conservationist too, right? Um, can you tell us, I know you've played a bunch of various roles in different organizations trying to preserve the fisheries and, you know, various nonprofits. Um, can you tell yeah. us a little bit now, about me, that? Absolutely. And, and let me be clear about um, why I am a conservationist. I mean, it's, uh, I don't even like that word conservationist, but I guess it, it it is, you know, it does describe, you know, my interest and really uh, it's self-serving. Um, I, I want there to be enough fish in the water to where I have an opportunity to go out and, and torture and kill them, you know, or just torture <laughs> and release them. Um, so, but, but the truth is that, you know, having the opportunity to stick those fish is way more important than how many I can throw in the cooler. Um, you know, especially with something like bluefin, you, you really only need one, 
Um, and, and yellowfin, you know, you really only need five. I, I kind of cap it at seven because it's just too much. Yeah. Um, so so that's that's where my motivation lies. Um, so for nine years, I sat on the Mid-Atlantic Council uh, on behalf of, of the governor of New York, and they manage federal fisheries. I was the chair of the HMS committee. That's a highly migratory species committee. Um, and, and they manage a lot of other stuff like summer flounder, scup, and black sea bass. So I did that for three terms, nine years. And then I, uh, uh, then I was the legislative proxy on the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission. Now they manage state fisheries inside of three miles, um, particularly striped bass, which is very politically contentious fishery because, you know, you have the commercial guys pitted against the recreational guys, you have the charter party guys pitted against the, the surf casters. It's uh, pretty uh, politically charged. Um, I did that for six years uh, and, and the, uh, the state senator that I represented retired. So currently New York does not have a legislative proxy, but I'm, anyway, I'm kind of done uh, with the sitting behind the table stuff. I do a lot of writing now to try to, you know, explain certain issues because you look at a lot of the internet chatter on Facebook or whatever, and, and people just are so wrong about things that I, I feel like it's a duty to clarify, you know, how decisions are made and why they're made and, uh, you know, what, what we should be working for rather than, you know, just trying to say we're getting screwed and we need to be able to kill more fish, et cetera. And I also think, you know, there's, there's always various threats against recreational fishing, um, you know, from the NGO community as well as, uh, you know, it's, I, I just, you know, to, to, I, what it all boils down to is I hate those days in the water where there's no fish around and I feel absolutely helpless. And I would like to minimize those days. And I feel like being part of the decision-making process helps that in a way, if that makes any sense. Yeah. You're taking control of your destiny kind of thing. Yeah, the destiny sort of, of the water. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Anyway, it's a it's a thankless sitting on the council and the commission. There's always one group of people that really hates you, man, and they'll go after you online and say shit about your family. It's it That's sucks, horrible. but yeah, no, totally. Well, I appreciate you standing up for all of us recreational guys out there trying to get on these fish and not have those Thanks. days where we're not touching anything yeah. on the water, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kat, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate sure, it. You know, um, I hope I see you out there. I'm going to try to get out there this next season up on my buddy's boat. Um, you know, maybe at the AP I'll run into you and I'll give you a shout on the radio. Yeah, man. Hit me up. All right. Thanks, Cap. Thanks, bud. Thanks for joining us on the science of fishing. We hope that this was helpful and you learned something for the next time you're wedding a line. Follow us on Instagram at Science of Fishing and make sure you subscribe to stay up to date on future episodes and share this with someone you know. Until next time.